Hello. On this week's podcast, we're talking about tokenization. And don't worry if you're not exactly sure what that is, as we'll be educated on the subject by a world expert, James Belding, founder of the blockchain startup Tokenized. Tokenized is a protocol that James will be releasing for anyone to use. In addition, he's working on his own commercial business that will be one implementation of it. It's similar to how email as an agreed protocol operates between different providers, while Gmail, for instance, is one commercial implementation of that protocol. This conversation was recorded a few months ago and was published before we got this podcast going. I've been in touch with James this week to find out what he's been up to since then. He tells me that after the recent Bitcoin SV network upgrade, which allows more data to be carried in an individual transaction, they've been upgrading the tokenized protocol to use that extra space to improve the legal and financial protocols that tokenized will include. He says they're, quote, creating what we hope will be the backbone of a new global financial system, one that has no barriers to entry and is ultra convenient and low cost. Well, by using that extra space for data, a single token transaction can now involve different assets and different parties. This means, for instance, that you'll be able to buy or sell shares or bonds on the blockchain, even if you're nervous about converting fiat to crypto, because you'll be able to trade with stablecoins, which are tied one-to-one with fiat currencies. That way, you'll still benefit from the advantages of BSV, such as immutability, transparency, and low cost of transactions, without being exposed to the volatility of crypto. Tokenized will be releasing the documentation for the upgraded version of the protocol in the next couple of weeks. And meanwhile, they're continuing to work on their commercial platform, and will be announcing a release date for that soon. I started by asking James to go back to basics and explain how more than just money can be recorded on the blockchain that supports Bitcoin. But what a lot of people don't realize is that the Bitcoin ledger or the Bitcoin network can be used as a ledger, which means you can actually store data on it. And the benefit of that is that you've now got data that's stored across the world on many computers, which makes that data um, very reliable, immutable, not, it can't be changed, um, it's public so anyone can access it and to be able to, to send that data to the network is also uncensorable, no one can stop you from doing it. So it's a really like valuable innovation there and the tokenized protocol sort of aims to take advantage of that ledger capabilities and the tokenized protocol is basically akin to any other protocol in the um, technical world. So um, what I've done basically is I've defined um, a whole protocol that sort of brings the law into it. It allows people to define contracts, terms of contracts, um, governing law, for example, which is whenever you do a contract with people, you need to specify what laws is going to be governed by and what jurisdiction is it going to be settled in if there's any disputes, you know, even, even if it's just arbitration, um, who the issuer is, what the entity of the issuer is, is it a private company, is it a a limited public company, is it an unlimited company, all these other things. Is it like you've sort of created a kind of blank form that people have to fill in, so it's like a template? Exactly, yeah. So the, the, the protocol is, that's a great way of putting it, is it's a template, so it's a structured template. So everyone involved in tokenized transactions knows what to expect, and it kind of gives you a... Uh, a guiding point, like make sure that you do this, otherwise it won't be accepted, and make sure you fill this in, otherwise it won't be accepted, right? So I've defined what you need, 
and then it's up to the users and issuers to actually fill it in with the things that are meaningful to them. Um, but that's sort of like the top level, um, the first part to define the rest of the transactions, the rest of the token system is the contract part of it. Who's involved in this um, token issuance, right? What's their legal entity and all that type of thing. The second part was then you need to define um, what assets are going to be related to the contract. So a great analogy or, or one of the most important use cases is shares in a company. So shares come into existence by way of a shareholder agreement, right? So you have a shareholder agreement that defines what those shares mean, what the company is, um, the rules by which those shares can be traded, the rights the shareholders have, the duties or obligations they have, all these things. So that's the asset part of it. So the contract part of it is like the shareholder agreement, which you define all that. And then you create assets, which would be like the actual shares. And you'd say that this is a class A share, for example, or a class B share has different voting rights. Um, it's tradable, or if it is tradable, it might be restricted to accredited investors or within certain jurisdictions or regions. So you might have a, a company that only wants to offer shares because of regulations or laws within Europe, for example, or uh, North America, things like that. So I offer that kind of those choices and, and control. In the end, any sort of legal matters would be decided in court in different countries. I mean, would Absolutely. would tokenized have any sort of legal status in that? I mean, I'm worried, would you have any legal liability if, for instance, you forgot to specify some aspect of the contract? Could you get sued for problems that people might have with it? Um, well, it's an open source protocol, right? Like, so people are free to use it and they're free to see all elements of it. Now, any company that's going to do an issuance or create shares, for example, and do a public offering, they're going to have lawyers involved to check to protect themselves, right? So the way I've structured it is that the tokenized protocol is just a protocol. Anyone can use it and they're free to abuse it if they want to and break the law. That's not up. It's up to them. Mm -hmm. um, but they better protect themselves and make sure they're not going to caught if they're going to do that, basically. But what I do is I make it really easy for them to follow the law if they want to, you know, and make it really easy for the lawyers to understand what they're getting into, and more importantly, what their investors are getting into. So it's always clear. So investors are still going to have to read the prospectus, you know, if there's audits that come along with it. But I standardize a lot of that to make it easy to filter through. And, and uh... I saw the information about how you've thought of it in terms of stocks, bonds, futures, swaps, derivatives, and securities, for instance. I mean, have you had to create a whole separate um, version for each of those eventualities? Yes, yeah. So I've actually got, I think, 40 now asset types, oh, wow. and each of them standardized. They've got all the different um, categories of, of data that you need. Right. So you've done a lot of work in actually investigating, or perhaps you already knew, how all these financial instruments work. Yeah, a lot of I have, I have one of my uh, team members. He's a, a former trader. I think he's been trading professionally for ten years, and he's a finance whiz and you know studied in school at a high level. Um, I don't think he got a master's, but he's he's very very clever that way. And um, I got him to refine and do a lot of those asset types. But I also did a lot of research myself, coming to that point and determining all the possibilities and, and how to structure it, and make sure everything was accounted for. And we're actually right now we've got lawyers going through it. Um, that are experts in security law and all that type of stuff to make sure that it's all tightened up and polished. What, what's the business model for this? So business is separate to the whole thing, right? So this tokenized protocol is just open source and it's for everyone to use. Um, I want to make it a standard like email is a standard, right? So you can have a Hotmail and a Google with Gmail and 
and all the other service providers for email operating with the same protocol so they communicate together, it's all interoperable. So I envision the same future where you have um, issuers running their own smart contracts or you might have smart contract operators kind of more similar to like what a Gmail would be for email where they'd manage all that back end, the, the running the smart contract and taking care of all those details on behalf of an issuer. So just like you would as a business, create a business account at Gmail, hmm. you do the same thing, you come to a company to offer smart contract services and you'd sign up and say, I want to run a smart contract, this is my company, this is how many shares I want to issue, and they take care of all the details. To go back to the use which I think everyone can relate to, you talk about buying tickets for movies and stuff like that. Can you just tell me how that would work? Sure. So um, say you have a movie chain and they have 10 cinemas. Well, they they just get a brand new movie, let's say, um, like Gladiator, favorite movie of mine. Um, so they have three months where they're going to be showing it, and during that three months they have 50 showings or 100 showings. So they'd create a new smart contract for that movie and they'd create a new asset for each showing. And that asset would basically say um, July 2nd, 5 p.m. showing um, at, in this theater, the, the biggest screen possible, whatever in the theater. And they have 230 seats. So they'd issue 230 tickets, which would be tokens. And then they'd sell them. So people go to the website and they'd buy them. Um, and now that person would have that token, which is a movie ticket for that showing on their phone or their wallet at home, wherever it is. So then when the showing happens on July 2nd, they go to the theater and they'd show their ticket and the theater would say, yep, that's valid. And they'd let them in. So that, that whole cycle is complete. And because that ticket is a, a one use ticket, it would just disappear. It's called burning the token. Would it mean that the person would have had to have downloaded a wallet and transferred money into it. Yeah, so um, all these tokens would have to have a wallet that's suited to this protocol. And I'm sure there must be all sorts of good uses for that that take advantage of the sort of uh, global transaction and speed of transaction and low transaction fees. Absolutely, yeah. This, it represents a serious paradigm shift for a lot of reasons. I mean, even if you think about the stock market and the banking system as a whole, um, the, the time to settle a trade is two days typically so you don't know for sure that you've actually made that trade until they've actually settled it um, many days later where now we're talking about you know 10 minutes to an hour you've usually got a good settlement and that's it so that's yours um, that's one part of it the transaction fees when we go to scale um, transaction fees will be significantly cheaper than what there is today do these non-currency transactions just slot right into the blockchain amongst the Bitcoin transactions? Yeah, they do. So um, miners charge um, per transaction on the size of the transaction. So if you're squeezing a lot of data, putting a lot of data into it, just the transaction size becomes bigger and you pay per um, byte. I think that's a really important part of Bitcoin unleashing its value to the world is that it becomes used for all sorts of data. Um, I, I hope to see, you know, I have no idea what ratios will end up being, but I want all sorts of contracts on there, titles, deeds, important documents, that type of thing, all stored on the, the blockchain. Sort of a commercial internet in which all commerce is done. So not not only just the basic financial transactions, but all the receding data, the invoices, purchase orders, everything that you, you know, people need in terms of information when they conduct business with one another. So there's, there's a lot of potential features here and, and possibilities that can be explored. 
but I think as a near-term use case, so the next sort of, that we'll see develop and develop over the next five to 20 years, is that a lot of commercial transactions will move to it. And the reason is, is that it's immutable. It's a record that can't be disputed, right? So, I mean, I don't know how serious of a problem this is in the, in the real world on a global level, but I mean, I think we've all had situations where emails didn't get sent properly or someone didn't receive them or disputes arise because of things like that. They didn't, they didn't get the call. Well, immutability is very interesting and the fact that it's public because there's no arguing that isn't there. It's either there or it's not. And you can point to it and you can verify it, right? So if someone says they didn't receive that Bitcoin or they didn't receive that contract, well, you know that they did, right? So that's, it's there. And if there is ever a dispute um, for whatever reason, um, then you have an immutable record to take to the judge or the arbiter and say, look, this is on chain. You can't disprove this. This is what the agreement was. These are the terms. You know, here's, here it is and here's exactly how it was. Just to step back a bit, can you just tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into this and, and how you got your team together? Sure, yeah. Um, so I'm a, I was an electrical engineer. Um, worked in heavy industry, oil and gas, that type of thing for a long time. Um, so project engineer, project manager, designer, um, all that type of stuff. Um, pretty much was more interested in, in moving out of it after a while. I found it to be very rote. Um, wasn't a very creative pursuit. I wasn't pushing the envelope, or that's at least how I felt. So I was looking for something else. And I'd, I've been keeping my eye on Bitcoin since 2013. I was very interested in it. And I believe that it had a very had very good potential to become the world's money, which I thought was a really important invention. Um, I sort of didn't dive right into it in 2013 because I wanted to see a few technical issues overcome and see how the, the system itself played out and stabilized in the world. And I also wanted to see how the regulators reacted. But as time went on, I became more and more confident in it and I researched it more and more and um, basically went full out on it and um, started working full-time studying it. Um, you know, it became my full-time job and I wanted to just make a contribution. I wanted to first understand it properly all the way through and then try and, you know, add something to it, make it better. Um, it took me about, I reckon, three months to really get my bearings with all the details and all that kind of stuff. And the, the thing that I thought would be really powerful is I had a couple token use cases, businesses that I thought around, that could build around tokens. And I built a big business model up and I got lawyers involved and I started getting the thing all fine-tuned. And I was sort of waiting for a token system to be delivered, you know, someone to make it up. And nothing came along. I was getting a bit frustrated thinking, surely someone's going to come up with this now that we've got the, the capabilities to do it. And um, it, no one did. So I started designing it myself in, you know, so I could execute on my business. And then the CoinGeek contest was announced. So I said, well, let's, let's get this going. Let's, let's make a real good effort at this. Um, so I gathered a few people that I knew that were talented and um, put a team together and then just funded it myself out of my personal savings. And yeah, had a crack at it. And here we are. Um, separate to that, we're working on a business. And the idea of the business is to take this, the value that's in this protocol and bring it to market. Basically bring it so that real companies and, and customers and issuers and investors and all the people that want to use tokens can just do it. They don't have to know anything about the technical details. But so when you release the open source code, yeah. what's to stop somebody else creating exactly the kind of business that you're going to create with it? I, I encourage them to. I want them to. So I, I want a world where this is the global standard, where there's many, many businesses competing with us 
um, to make this a, an international standard. Just like you know, there's many email providers and, and you know, any kind of industry has a lot of providers. I want there to be lots of providers. So the business side of it is more kind of packaging and, and marketing, is it? Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, for your average company, they don't know anything about blockchain, do they? And no. it, it's actually a very small percentage of the world that has anything, knows anything about the technology behind it, but a lot of people can benefit from it. So um, that's what I hope to do, is make it easy enough that anyone can do it and anyone can benefit from it. So the, the open source solution that we were handing out there is a great starting point for other people to take that and make their own companies and, and figure out ways to use it in their, their business or uh, organization. Um, but it's still, you know, you have to be pretty technically minded to understand it properly and to, to take it to that next step. So um, and we're going to we're going to help them. We're going to be um, we want to you know be a very you have a lot of outreach and, and be quite open with that and support the community as much as we can with it. Um, yeah, I think everyone that's involved in this, you know, sort of early days is going to do very well. Thanks very much to James Belding. To find out more in person, you'll be able to catch up with the tokenized team at the CoinGeek conference in Toronto, along with many other BSV innovators. You can find all the conference details and a special BSV discount offer on the CoinGeek website. Thanks for listening. And from me, Charles Miller, Goodbye for now.